Welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Brilliant stuff. It's a... Uh, it's great to, to kind of be up here with, um, with these two. Um, I must just take a moment just to say it. It's a great joy for us to uh, do what we can, I suppose, don't we, to serve this community with teaching every week. And it's just been a great joy to do that with Steph for quite some time and to have John joining us recently as well, more and more in this series. So, yeah, it's great to have the three amigos up together, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you want to call it. We're in a series practicing the way, as most of you will know, nine ancient practices that uh, rid us and deepen our experience of God as we serve our world. Um, we're taking four weeks to do each practice. So we took four weeks in November to do the first practice, which was Sabbath. And we've taken the month of January to do four weeks on prayer. And we thought we'd try something a little bit different and finish it with, with today, which is a Q&A conversation. And so we're going to have a bit of a conversation among ourselves. I'm going to ask some questions of, of these two and chip in as well. And, um, but I'm hoping that there will be some uh, time at the end for perhaps one or two questions. So if you'd like to ask a question about prayer um, and only prayer, nothing else, nothing to do with politics or anything like that. <laughs> it's been a weekend of all that. Um, we would be most happy to attempt to answer that. Um, we're actually coming up on Lent in a couple of weeks and so we're going to move into the third practice which is going to be fasting believe it or not we're going to teach on fasting for four weeks and it should be really actually enriching and nourishing and to us but today prayer Q&A so I've got a couple of questions Steph and John actually that I put in there that are kind of more briefer questions because I thought when I when I had them I thought it'd be good to have like a little answer from each of us so I thought like maybe a slightly briefer answer um, and this first one is one of those which is um, how did you learn how to pray? How did you, did someone teach you how to pray? Who wants to take that first? John, do you want to kind of go first? Do you want to? So, um, <clears throat> hi everyone. Uh, so yeah, I think my first experience of prayer was watching my granny pray, you know, when I was a wee boy. Um, we used to stay at her house at the weekends and um, I always remember her before she would ever go to bed at night, she would get down on her knees at the bedside and then um, she would go through all the family out loud by name and she'd go through them all you know starting with the oldest son and then their middle son and then youngest daughter and all their children and she would just go through them all and uh, when we stayed over she would always kind of invite us to get down on our knees with her and uh, i would just remember just looking up and kind of just being mesmerized seeing the lines on her face you know as she kind of uh, lifted all her family up to God in prayer. So that, that was kind of, I'd say, my first introduction to it. And then I became um, a Christian when I was 16. Um, but even for about a year or two, I would say my prayers were quite mechanical, not, not really a bit legalistic, kind of, until I kind of had a more deeper experience when I was 17, just shy of my 18th birthday. And after that, I, I kind of, prayer became a little bit more emotional. And um, had a desire for it and uh, I kind of remember being taught in church you know we were taught every day to have a quiet time and mm. um, no matter 
you know how busy you are, you're never too busy uh, not to pray. And we, you were taught no matter what, you must have a quiet time. Yep. So it was like every, every morning, you know, let God speak to you first, read from the Bible, and then you speak to him. And that's a practice that I learned really young, and I kind of still keep it to this day. And it was a really good foundation to have, you know, young in life. So yeah. you let God speak to you, and then you speak back to him. And so uh, every day have your quiet time. And then just, we were taught as well, let, let your prayer be informed by the little acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. So A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and A, supplication. And you were kind of <laughs> almost taught that you had to have that in almost every prayer. And so I remember trying to kind of, you know, shoehorn it into every quiet time. And obviously I've since learned that, you know, it's not doesn't work like that, that just as in any relationship, you know, there's times of thanksgiving, there's times of confession, there's mm. times of supplication. But yeah, that was that was kind of a really good foundation I think I had brilliant. young in life. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That's brilliant. <laughs> Steph, what about you? What, how did you learn or who taught you or did you? Um, I think very similar to John in that I observed a lot as a child. Um, my dad would have said prayers with us before we went to sleep, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I watched godly grandparents pray and be down on their knees. But I was remembering that every night after the Lord's Prayer, we prayed, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Which as an adult, it just gives me shivers that a child would say that every night. <laughs> and think about dying or the possibility but I guess when I think but it didn't I didn't spend any sleepless nights after I probably thought about what I'd done all day but I suppose what that speaks to is that my relationship with God then was maybe about fear or about security of the afterlife and then as I grew up I realized that I fell in love with Jesus and so my prayer life changed and I learned to pray about the reality of my day and my heart and it changed. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I, um, we were talking a little bit during the week, actually, the two of us, about this uh, question. I'm, gonna, I'm, also, I'm asking the questions and answering some of them, by the way. <laughs> That's the kind of way it's going. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wasn't taught how to pray. Um, and I, wasn't, I realized I wasn't taught how to read the Bible either, which seems strange when you're brought up in an evangelical church. I think all three of us have been brought up in the evangelical church, different denominations. I was brought up Baptist, but... Um, and I know the Christian faith, no matter what stream you go to, talk about prayer and Holy Scripture. But you know, in an evangelical setting, you know, prayer and the personal relationship with Jesus, uh, which we believe, of course, absolutely, and, and Scripture is so important. And yet, I, was, I realized I was never taught yeah. how to do it. Yeah. Um, but it was modeled to me, much, I think much like actually what you've just been sharing, it was modeled to me. I've already talked a little bit about my grandma last week, but others, family and church. Um, and I think actually that's, um, that is actually a beautiful thing when people are actually modeling prayer and lives of prayer. Um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of my, like, I guess my, my main answer really to that. Um, we were thinking a little bit about what is the purpose of prayer and I suppose, I mean, this series that we've been in, as you can tell, we're leaning quite heavily into um, a, a course called Practicing the Way that many of you are aware of. And so we're learning stuff as we go as well and the different types of prayer. And so I'm, I'm hoping that the last month we've begun to teach some of it. Um, but we were, we were th I was thinking about the, the, what is the purpose of prayer. And um, I think one of the things that uh, as I reflect upon how maybe prayer was modeled to me growing up was often like a shopping list 
prayer, which I think a lot of us do, you know, think of. When we think about prayer, we think about coming before God with our needs, which is actually really scriptural. We were singing about it, seek ye first, ask and you shall receive. And yet I have come in, in, in recent years, particularly I think to begin to understand that prayer um, cannot be boiled down to just that, um, that prayer is not solely about changing God, it's actually, or changing God's mind, so to speak, asking him to intervene in some way, but actually prayer is about changing me, and that there's this formational power to prayer, that prayer is a practice, like all these other practices, that actually shapes us, and so as we live a life of prayer, we actually become shaped in a particular way, we become a person of prayer, it kind of gets into our bones, so to speak, and I'm not so sure that was really always modeled. It was perhaps more intercessory prayer, praying for things, which, as I say, is absolutely a fundamental part of prayer. If we use the ACTS acronym, uh, well, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and supplication. Um, but yeah, I think the purpose of prayer, you know, to answer that, I think, is ultimately what we've been teaching. It is communion with God. It's, or to use a different word, union with God, or another word is relationship, intimacy. Like, like prayer ultimately is the, it's kind of the means and the end of our faith. Like our faith can really be boiled down to like prayer and, our, and, and, and how we pray and that intimacy we can have with, with God. And so um, like any relationship, you don't really jump in in the first stanza with, uh, can you help me, can you help me, can you help me? You cultivate a relationship. I think there are phases to a relationship like that. And I think we come into God's presence and we want to, bring some adoration and thanksgiving. We want to worship him. Um, but more often than not, um, prayer is about changing us, giving ourselves over to a type of prayer um, that will affect us and change us. And, and it's about communion with God, union with God. That is why we as, as Christians are called to pray um, and why Jesus teaches us to pray. Um, the, what, the last wee final thing I want to throw in before I move on to Another question here is, um, I think often the, the, the model of church, the way we think about church can often be like more like, like a lecture theater or like a concert or something like that. When church is more like a, uh, like a Pilates class, everybody should have their mat with them and we do it together because what we do is we practice this is more like a gymnasium than a lecture theater. It's not about information. This is about us moving through certain practices, even this morning. Call to worship, sung worship, prayer, communion, scripture, community. These are the ways that we're practicing. These are, these are practices. These are supposed to kind of be exercising some muscle and helping us. And it's more like a Pilates class or a yoga class or something like that than it is sitting stationary receiving information into our head so it's there's a participation with what we do and that's the same with with, with prayer it's it's about forming us our our participation uh in it um that's my best do you want to chip in with anything on that or chip yeah, in just, i think last week you said something that really stuck stood out to me you know we were talking about being with god mm. and um you said that um prayer is looking at the one who's looking back at us with love and that kind of really st stayed with me all week. And it was just that image of, like, uh, of being in the sunlight. Just, yeah. you know, and when you're in the sunlight, the light reveals to you, 
till you lose the things, you know. And so it's just sitting for a while in the sunlight and turning your heart toward it, just that, that moment, those moments of communion. Um, when I was teaching week one, talking to God, um, we taught on pre-made prayers, um, liturgy, using liturgy or pre-written prayers or scripture in prayer. Do you do that, Steph? Do you use anything? Or what are you, and what are those religions? Mm. Even if you, you know? um, it's probably very unredeemer to say that I'm not a huge fan of liturgy. <laughs> so I'll own that. Um, but I have found, I brought it today, I love it, um, a rhythm of prayer, this book, edited by Sarah Bessie, um, because there's times in our lives where we don't know what to say and when it's just too hard, and going and, and reading prayers of others can be really helpful. So I, I dig into this quite a lot. I also love black liturgies. I think their work is amazing, and Cole Arthur Riley has just produced a book this week of her meditations mm. and liturgies that are mm. when life maybe doesn't make so much sense. She's uh, on, I just started to interrupt, mm. interject. She's on Instagram with yeah. the prayers, so this was a free way to access... Black liturgies, they're beautiful. Beautiful blessings, beautiful benedictions, and, and on those nights when maybe you don't know what to say. And the other practice I'm developing is the nightly examine. Um, Ignatius of Loyola taught it, and you, ask, you, look at, you go over the day as a way of ending the day, but you go over it with the Lord and you ask yourself two questions. The first one is, what am I most thankful for? Where did I feel your love today? And then what am I least grateful for? Or where was I least able to receive your love? Mm. And then you move to, to repentance and confession. And I find that practice has really helped me um, in my nightly. And I'm saying I'm finding it. I'm not saying I've found it and I do it every night. But it is a good practice to get into mm. the examine. Mm. That's great. Um, John, do, do you use anything like that in terms of your prayer? Or? Well, I suppose, like Stephanie, I kind of come from a more Pentecostal tradition. So we were kind of taught really young that uh, prayer had to be spirit-led. So if it's not like the motions of the Holy Ghost in your heart coming out of your lips, it doesn't really count. If you're using, you know, set prayers or the prayers that someone else has written, it, you know, we were, our church was kind of in a really Catholic area and a lot of the people that came to our congregation came from um, a Catholic background. So there was almost that kind of weariness of yeah. that at that stage. And I remember we used to see in the paper every week, there would be little notices, you know, uh, Prayer, a prayer to St. Joseph or a prayer to St. Jude, say this uh, nine times every day, and, and then it always said at the bottom, never known to fail. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've come across that before. And so there was always this kind of reluctance to you know, pick those up again. And I guess that's how I was for a long time, that it kind of set prayers kind of smacked of religiosity mm -hmm. or formality. Mm -hmm. um, but then a few years ago, I remember I went through a really difficult time, you know, just a really a time of being really feeling really wounded and not able to read or pray. And at that time, I relied very heavily on the Book of Common Prayer. And it was all through lockdown. And I remember I just I read it every day, and uh, I found that those words then became like mm, like a beautiful gift to me when I didn't have the words. You know, I leaned on, the, on those, yeah. and uh, they offered me words to express the content of my heart, yeah. and it kind of carried me through a season. And so even though now, you know, I would say that my form, the format of my prayer hasn't changed, 
is still very personal, my, using my own words. I, I think that there is something really beautiful and um, appropriate about using it at different times yeah. in your life. It's beautiful, yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. I, I've kind of had my say on that question in talk one, so if you missed that, I suppose you can kind of go back and revisit that. The best, the best analogy I recently came across, though, I'll chip in with one thing, why not? Is, uh, uh, and I have to give Brian Zand the credit for this, but is look at any master musician, John Mayer on the electric guitar, he learnt the scales, and he learnt the scales, and he learnt the scales until he didn't have to play the scales anymore. He just could improvise. And I think there's something about the tracks of pre-written prayer that are helpful. They can be, I think this is sometimes perhaps why in evangelical circles that we've been raised in, there's a, there is kind of been a fear that it can become dead, like kind of dead religion, religiosity, and it's very rote and it can be. <laughs> Actually, if you can find the right kind of resources, the Common Book of Prayer is a phenomenon. And some books that there's some beautiful resources out there. They can actually be really, really helpful. Because I don't know about you, but when I sit down to pray, I don't know sometimes where to start. And sometimes, starting with the skills, starting with a, a prayer, can actually just help to begin the conversation with us. So I think that metaphor really, really helps me. Is think about a musician and how they learn to play their instrument. Often they will learn the skills, and then it means they can improvise to their heart's content. Um, Stephanie, should we pray for God to change things? And how are we to make sense of prayer going unanswered? Just an easy one. Two easy it? ones there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we pray for th God? Yes. I think there's biblical model for that. Um, I think throughout the story of God, we are invited to. Um, to ask and to seek God and to ask him to change things. Um, if you look at Jacob, he said, you know, he wrestled with God and he said, I am not going to give up until you bless me. Mm. So th the model is there. Um, and, and as I said that week, we, I talked about prayer that if you summed up Jesus' teaching throughout the New Testament in one word around prayer, it was ask. So yes, I think he does. Um, I was thinking about this, and we chatted about it this week. We have friends who's, um, one of them has pancreatic cancer at the minute, or prostate cancer at the minute, and he's been doing very well, but his bloods weren't good, and he had to go for a scan, and we were talking about that. And I said, I'm going to pray for a good outcome. Um, and my friend, who is a really faithful, loyal follower of Jesus, she said, well, actually, you know, it is what it is, and we will deal with it. Mm. And... And on the one hand, that speaks beautifully to a faith in a good God who is with you no matter what. But sometimes we can go into that determinist view that it's all just, you know, ahead of us and we can do nothing and prayer will do nothing and God will do nothing. And so we talked it out and I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue to pray for good news. And 10 days went past, he had a scan, I hadn't heard anything. And on Tuesday, a message, and I said, hey, what about the scan? And she said, oh, it's weird, we're actually going to hear tonight. And the scan was clear. Um, and I'm not saying A plus B equals C, because it doesn't. But I am saying that I think we are invited to partner with God and to invite him into the mess and hurt and drama of our lives and ask him to change things. Um, which I guess leads to the unanswered prayer. 
And, you know, I've seen God answer so many prayers in miraculous ways over the course of my life. I've also stood at the gravesides of people I fully believed would be healed. So we sit in that tension mm. and that then speaks to our deep faith. And what do we do in that? I, I read a memoir this week and I wrote it down because he said, um, the guy was talking about his unanswered prayers and he says, I live in the land of unanswered prayer. It is just east of acceptance and just west of breakthrough. <laughs> and the valley of an unanswered prayer is lonely and sad and hard and perhaps true happiness doesn't come from our wants, but what actually is our trust in a good God, no matter what. And we lament what we are in, in that valley. And I think that's biblical and right. Um, but yes, I think many of us and, and some in this room are living in a land of unanswered prayers. And that is hard. And I think that is when you draw your community in to support you and be with you and to wait. Um, so yeah I, I think it's a challenge and it's painful and there's no easy answer there's a mystery and there's many questions I will have for heaven on that of why that prayer wasn't answered um, in the way that maybe I thought and then I was thinking about Isaiah 43 and that treasures are hidden in the darkness there's secret riches and I suppose I just wanted to say if someone's sitting in that valley of unanswered prayers there's treasure there um, and it's about mining for that and finding it. But that's not an easy pat answer. Um, and we grieve and we lose. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I've had, yeah, I think that's enough. Yeah, I was laughing because <clears throat> I remember someone said to me one time, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. It's either yes or no. <laughs> sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's yes, or sometimes it's wait. Um, but I remember reading where Therese of Avila said that um, more tears are shed in this world over answered prayers than unanswered prayers. And uh, you know, like the wee Garth Brooks songs, you know, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Um, but I wrote down this, I wrote down this little poem, and some of you may, may have heard of it before, but I think it really speaks into that, uh, um, what Stephanie was saying about the tension that we kind of live in sometimes between um, receiving what we've asked for and, and not. And it says, um, I asked for strength that I might achieve, but I was made weak that I might humbly obey. I asked for health that I might um, do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel my need of God. I asked for all things to enjoy life. I was given life to enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most greatly blessed. Yeah, some really, some real wisdom in what you've both there shared there. It's beautiful. Um, I think all three of us have been in pastoral ministry for quite some time and walked with, walked with a lot of people through a lot of difficulty. Um, when I think back, well, we all have those stories, and some of those stories were stories where um, God answered prayer in a way that we could, we could, we could praise God. We could kind of tell you know we could really understand it was the prayer we asked and, and there's so many times when yeah, as you've said Steph we've 
we've walked with people and prayed with people and it, you know, it hasn't, um, nothing has seemingly happened. And I think that the word you've used, John, there's tension. Um, and I think, um, I suppose that's, the, that's a word that we here are trying to get more comfortable with. I think that's probably what we're trying to foster here as leaders in a community, which is a community that can kind of can kind of manage that tension or live in the tension, perhaps. And it's not actually very easy at all because there's no real answers. Um, there's a real mystery to prayer, and there's a real mystery to to what, to, to the prayers that go unanswered. And I think. Um, I think the only thing that we can do is walk alongside one another. Um, but if I was to add anything to the conversation, it would be connected to what I said before, which is prayer forms us. And so I want to be formed as a person who will pray expecting um, because I see in the teachings of Jesus, ask and it shall be given. Um, if your God is a father, will he give his children a a snake and really give them a loaf of bread. Um, I want to be formed as a person who prays expectantly while also having a robust theology of suffering mm. and then, yeah. that there is this tension and there are unanswered questions. Um, but no, I think all three of us, we don't answer that um, easily because we are sensitive to the stories are probably here in the room. Perhaps there's people here who are praying about very difficult things, very painful things and I suppose there is an invitation there. If there's anyone who would love us to walk with you or pray for you, we are here to do that or just to even know um, so we can support you. But certainly we don't want our answers today to feel like pat answers. We just want to be honest. There is a mystery to prayer. But um, we want to continue to follow this way of Jesus which calls us to come before our Father and, um, and ask him for our daily breads um, and bring all things with and live in the tension. Um, is there anything else to add there that I've missed? Or no, just, no. I think there's yeah. no. I think a more honest answer is we don't know why there's unanswered prayer. You know, and and being okay with that. Yeah. That we we long for certainty, and I I don't think faith is certain, yeah. and yeah. faith is the opposite of certainty, mm -hmm. and that's what we're called to to be faithful followers, who don't have all the answers and. I greatly respect someone who, who will say, I don't know, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I shy away from people who tell me everything's just as it is and it's all good in the hood and it's hashtag blessed because that's not the life we lead. Yeah. yeah. Just come into my head while you're talking, actually. I suppose the other thing is just, I think the danger we can get into is boiling our prayer life down to that prayer. And I think the best that we can keep our prayer as the communion with the Lord. Um, there's time to be desperate though. When we're desperate, we want to be on our knees and we cry to God and he, he is there with us. But yeah, I think sometimes we can get myopic about it perhaps and, and it's about continuing to try to keep alive a relationship, an intimate relationship with God while also being really honest and bearing your soul to him and asking and praying difficult things. Um, there's a book that came to mind, Steph, Remind me the, the title of it, Kate, Kate Bowler's book. <clears throat> Everything, I love this title. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, it's a 10 out of 10 on, on book title. Um, but it actually is a really helpful book, I think, and it gets, it gets to this kind of tension. Um, because I think, um, I don't want to go off on one, I suppose. The deconstruction yeah. kind of She's movie. living with stage four cancer. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know. The tension that that is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's, when you're raised with so much certainty, mm -hmm. with certainty, I think often when life bangs into you, then I think that's what's often causing people to kind of really struggle with their faith. And we've all been there. But actually this evangelical kind of world we've brought up in has kind of set us up for that failure. We're not supposed to live with certainty. The deconstruction movement isn't really happening in other streams of the church. It seems to only be happening in Western evangelicalism. It's because we're clinging to certainty, which is, yeah, I'm going to go off on a rant there, or a, or a tangent, but we'll get into that in our, in our learning group next week. But I just think, yeah, um, not boiling our prayer life down to that and um, realizing there's a mystery. To, uh, to faith and living in the tension. Any, anything else to add there, John? Sorry. Yeah, I just even think there's like a precedent for that even in the Bible because, um, you know, brought up in evangelicalism, you're kind of, it is very black and white and very binary, but then you begin to read, like, for example, you've got the book of Proverbs that yeah. um, everything's very dualistic and very binary, so the righteous are blessed, the wicked are punished, you yeah. know. But then right next door to it, you've got the book of Job, which is the story of a righteous man who went through so much and it wasn't because of any wickedness in him. And then toward the end of the book, you know, when God does eventually come out of hiding, he doesn't give him any answers as to why, you know, his cries went on, you know, went unanswered. But it just is the reminder that um, that he was with him. Brilliant. And that was that was how the book ends. Brilliant. Yeah, so that's, yeah, really true. Um, that's brilliant. Uh, Steph, what's the primary way that you hear God's voice in your life? So we talked about listening prayer and talking with God prayer. Um, so if you think back, I grew up with this kind of, you know, now I lay me down to sleep kind of vibe about prayer and about God. And, um, and so I felt that God was uh, someone not to be questioned or doubted or, or even related to, but it was a, a reverent love. And all of that is true. But in the 90s, that shows how old I am, the early 90s, I was um, very impacted by the work and the teaching of John Wimber, who, who started the Vineyard Church. And his idea was that, um, a follow-on from the Protestant Reformation, that the priesthood of all believers, and his phrase was, everyone gets to play. And that was his thing. And so... Uh, that opened my mind and my heart really to this idea that I could hear from God and I could pray for the sick and I could see different things, you know, miracles happen, etc. So I was very influenced by that. And then I remember, um, and we were chatting about this this week, Dave, I went to some seminars with a woman called Sharon Stone, not the actress. Um, <laughs> And, and she said that she could sum up her teaching on how to hear from God by getting us to watch the, the Ten Commandments movie where Charlton Heston played Moses. And so Moses goes to the mountain and God speaks. But in the movie, the voice of God was also Charlton Heston. And she said, that is what you hear. You don't hear a voice that you think is God, you hear your own voice. And she said, if all you remember, and it genuinely is all I remember, is that um, 
when I hear God's voice, it is in my, it is in my voice that I hear. And I hear him, um, I see him, I get sense, you know, I feel it in my body. And uh, I was thinking if that sounds sort of, I've never experienced that, then I would say that the way to start is in silence, practicing silence. Because if you look at, um, say, the life of Elijah, or not Elijah, Yes, it was Elijah, and he was waiting for God. And it's, it's, you know, he wasn't, God wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the wind, he was in the silence. And if our prayer life is only about our noise, we're never going to hear him. And so silence and solitude are, are very, dis- very hard disciplines. Well, they have been for me. Um, but it's in those moments where I sit, and yes, I... I gratitude and I lament and all of those things but I wait in silence and and I think you need someone to help you on the journey and you take risks with it um and I mean I could talk from now till tomorrow about the mess that people have made with thinking that they're hearing from God and putting God said on the front of their own thoughts and I you know I'm very very aware of being on the receiving end of that and and know that others are in this room so I, I want to be cautious there, but I also want to encourage you that God does speak and you will hear him and you will um, get a sense of a relationship. But he's gentle and kind and he won't bluster in. He's going to wait <laughs> for you to give him the time. And, and I think that's silence and solitude, I believe, are the ways. Um, yeah. Uh, which is a wee plug for a future four-weeker on yeah. solitude that's coming up. <laughs> uh, de- yeah. Mm. Definitely, definitely all of us will be experiencing God differently. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. Mm. And yet there's also absolutely this, this invitation for us to hear God. I'm really reminded when you were talking about that quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Mm-hmm. Um this has just come to me. Uh, it's Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God mm. but only he who takes off his shoes <laughs> can see the rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Um, Moses might have walked past the bush um, but there was an attentiveness that he had cultivated. Mm. There's an invitation for us that God is everywhere if we have eyes to see. And how do we get eyes to see? It is something that actually is formed in us. It's given ourselves over to silence. It's given ourselves over to prayer in different ways. And cultivating a receptivity so that when we walk through life, we actually notice things perhaps we, we haven't noticed before. Um, and all of creation is infused with God's presence. Um, anything to kind of chip in John on that question yeah no just a laughing because uh, we had a young lad in prison this week who got a brand new set of glasses and um, when I went into his, his unit it was the first thing he wanted to show off was his new black rim glasses and he and he said I didn't realize how blind I was until <laughs> I got these and it was almost like you know I thought how true of life as well you know you're just passing through life not realizing that God God's glory is all around you but it's just sometimes that you don't have eyes to see. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna finish with one more question uh, for you, John, and and then I'd love to take one or two questions. We've got a little bit of time before we come to 
at the communion table and the band lead us. Um, so please do think of those. Um, for you, John, how and where, it's kind of related actually to this a wee bit, I suppose, but how and where do you most sense God, God's withness in your life or how do you sense God with you, I suppose, is a, another way to put it, you know. Yeah, well, as you all know, you know, working in the kids' detention centre, they're always coming for, like, they want rosary beads and prayer beads and prayer bracelets because they kind of see them as a bit of a, a good luck charm and they think that if they say, you know, a prayer with you, that in some ways that'll maybe get them off the hook when they go to court the next day. And I always tell them that, you know, the most important word in the Bible is actually the word with, that that's the most important of all. So no matter what happens, whatever the outcome is, to have that sense that God is with you, irrespective of the outcome, is the most important thing. And just to think about in my own life, you know, thinking hard about this, you know, how do I discern in a really valid way those times when God has been, you know, with me? And I would say it comes down to two things, an internal witness and an external witness. So just that internal thing, you know, um, when I became a Christian 25 years ago, I remember how it was like everything was awesome. It was like you'd been given a new set of glasses and, you know, the Bible was amazing, church was amazing, Christians were amazing. And then you go down the road a wee bit and there's a few knocks and, you know, it's almost like, you know, at the beginning of your romance with God, it's all goosebumps and butterflies. Um, and then the romance kind of fades a little bit and you settle into a relationship. And in the relationship, there's a lot of, you know, hoops and jumps and some days, it's not to say you don't feel the goosebumps, you know, occasionally, you just don't live there anymore. Uh, Ian and June were telling me, you know, they're married, how many, are you 30 years married? 34 years married, and they still get butterflies for each other, <laughs> but and that's such a lovely thing, they still feel that, you know, um, most days, but we don't, we don't kind of live there, you know, we don't live in that, we kind of don't live on dessert, but we live on meat and potatoes, and uh, it's like, you know, the, like the scripture says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And uh, there's moments when that's really clear, like uh, when you're maybe reading the scripture or listening to a sermon or lost in prayer or praise, and you just have this, this inner witness, you know, um, within you. Um, that doesn't happen all the time, but at different moments, and those moments then carry you through the mundane weeks, you know, and the mundane months. So there's that inner witness, and then I would say there's that external witness as well, um, of just that, that, that sense of providence. Um, not to say that, you know, that God blesses you, when God blesses your life with health, wealth, and prosperity, then that's the evidence that God is with you. You know, some of us kind of maybe picked that up by inference in our younger years that, if you were hashtag blessed, as Stephanie just said, or, you know, if you did get straight A's and you had straight teeth and a straight orientation, then, you know, God was with you. But I've actually since learned that, no, the path is a lot more thornier than that. And um, that God is there, you know, and occasionally you get to hear him cough, as I said a few weeks ago. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we were talking there about Job, and just Job was in my mind because I was talking to a friend about him last night. And, you know, in that story, I love, I love so much the ending, the, the last chapters of Job's life, because when it came to God answering the deepest cries, you know, of his anguish as to why he went through all of this, God just showed him the beauties of the creation all around him. 
and the glory and the splendor and everything. And it kind of took Job's breath away. And as I said to my friend last night, it's like a little flea riding on the back of a lion. And as the lion is, you know, pouncing along and the little small flea is on its back, it's roaring and roaring and giving off stink about, you know, uh, how bumpy the ride is and how hot everything is and roaring and roaring and never expected to be, to be answered when all of a sudden the lion turns around and roars right back at the flea. And in that moment, the flea catches a glimpse of itself in those two golden eyes, you know, and it just took its breath away because it never expected to be answered, much less roared at. And there's just those moments, you know, when we can even can look back in retrospect. Um, we don't maybe see it at the time, but when we look back at, in retrospect and connect up the dots and we realize, yeah, he was there then and that person just came at the right time or that opportunity opened up right then or that gift was sent my way when I didn't expect it. And it's like, yeah, with the benefit of hindsight and retrospect, you see he was there all the time. You know, like the wee poem footprints, you know, it was then I carried you. And it's sometimes like when we look back, you see it wasn't my faithfulness, it was his. It wasn't my constancy, it was his. It wasn't my steadfastness, it was his steadfastness to me. And so, yeah. That's yeah it's really lovely words. Um, thanks, Sean. Was there anything maybe you wanted to add there, Steph, on that question about witness? Um, I suppose I just thought as well about our belief in Imago Dei, that, and that's probably where I see God with us, that... Um, God is in all of us, and I look for him in all of us, um, and I look for him in everything, and then I can see that he's with us. Um, and I would encourage you to do that, to sort of meet everyone and think, where is God in you, and how can I, the God in me, connect with the God in you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, really, really good. Learn the skills, and then maybe we begin to see the marks of Christ in the other one another. Um, I'm going to open it up to the floor. I love, there's a wee microphone that Steph has. I wonder, Tim, would you mind being a runner with the microphone? If there is a question, um, come on. <laughs> a couple of you can be brave if you want to ask a question or even a comment, perhaps. There's, oh, look, Alfred's got one. Yeah, Alfred's just down at the back. Put your hand up there for Tim. He's going to bring a microphone to you. Um, that's great. Yeah, so thank you so much for doing this uh, Q&A. This is really great. Um, so my question is, how would you say you have changed in praying for enemies? Mic <laughs> drop. Wow, so how have you changed in praying for enemies? Um, is anyone absolutely dying to answer that? <laughs> I'm, I'm still an apprentice as far as that's concerned. <laughs> I mean, I remember just teaching, uh, I'm buying time here for these guys to chip in. I remember teaching on this a few, a few years ago, Alfred. You're right, the call of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount is to love our enemies, um, which is actually enemy love. It should mark us as a people, and there's not a lot of enemy love around because uh, it's really difficult. And I'm not, that's not a pot shot because it is difficult. Um, but the world is so polarized that we just want to throw rocks at one another on each side. And so, yeah, I actually do think this question is an excellent question related to prayer because I believe when you're engaged socially and in the work of justice in the world, you need a deep prayer life. We are called to that, and that's the place where we do change and where we can find compassion for one another, particularly those who we don't agree with. Um, 
So, brilliant question. I've kind of not really answered it, which is kind of what you a bit of time. I think what, um, it's a great question, Alfred. I think um, we, we went to see a movie last night, Zone of Interest, and it's about Auschwitz, and it's a really quite the movie. And as we left, I made a really unhelpful comment about the Commandant. I mean, possibly justified, but it was not kind. And that just came back into my head when Alfred said that about your enemy. Um, but I think our enemies are those who are our, our other uh, mainly someone who maybe lives differently to you or believes differently to you and I think the only way you can pray for them is to live out a prayer of relationship and curiosity and I think out of that open-heartedness and thinking of where is God in them and in me and how will we connect I think that is the basis of how I would pray or live a prayer to those that are different to me or the other um if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think it begins with honesty, doesn't it? It just begins with being in prayer is the chance or the opportunity to be completely honest about your feelings and to pour them all out unfiltered. Um, and that's where it begins. And then given that plus time and space and maybe distance from the enemy, it you're kind of lifted up to maybe a different perspective. It's like a softening maybe comes in. Um, I love the Irish legend of St. Kevin. You know, um, there's a picture that they, in Irish folklore about St. Kevin that he was praying kind of with his arms out like this in the field. And as he was sitting with his arms out, a blackboard came and nested in his arms. And it's just this picture of, you know, the possibility of prayer, that something can be birthed or something can be cultivated that you didn't ever expect. And sometimes just with um, the practice of even leaning into that, you'll be surprised at how much your heart or the orientation of your heart could maybe change or at least soften. You know? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, thank you for that question, Alfred. We'll, Frank will sit with that for the rest of today, probably. Um, is there any other questions? Uh, we've got time for, I think, one more. Please don't be shy. Carrie, yes, uh, Tim's got a wee a comment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Tim's there. Thank you, Carrie. Um, I think it's an area, what, is this working? Yep. That people can really feel the feeling. Yeah. And I want to just say that, you know, <laughs> I would really struggle to sleep sometimes. So if I'm struggling to sleep, I think I'm going to start praying now because I'll definitely be asleep in 10 minutes. <laughs> and that's what works for me. So I just want to say, don't be afraid of it. Don't feel, oh my goodness, you know, there's all these strategies and things and you can't do it, you know. Yeah. Just start, say hi. Yeah. You know, it's me. And even just thinking of those blackberry bushes that people feel they've maybe missed something. God made the blackberries too. Yeah. So all of life, to me, yeah. is a prayer as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, sorry, I get a wee bit emotional about it. I just hear Campbell sometimes in the night and it's just, Lord, help me. Yeah. Even when he's asleep. Yeah. So just knowing he's there. Yeah. Knowing he cares about you. Don't yeah. feel you have to get it right. Just start. Just talk. Yeah. And if you don't talk again for another two weeks, talk again. Yeah. That's how relationships build. Yeah. It's just taking that small step. So don't feel overwhelmed as well. This is so encouraging. But I know for me it can feel, oh. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Really, really, really helpful. Yeah. So you can really get caught into that performance idea, yeah. can't I? Or... And that's, I think that's, I think most 
um, what prayer is about, as, as Dave said, was changing us. And it's not about we'll have all these statements to make or anything else. It's actually about our hearts will change and it will only change with time, as you say, Kerry. And my probably most common prayer is, Lord, help me. <laughs> and I found myself saying it quite a lot um, because that is the, the cry of my heart. And you're right. And I think that speaks as well, Kerry, to the God withness, the fact that at night um, you do not feel alone because you are reminding yourself to pray and that reminds you that you are not on your own yeah absolutely yeah really helpful because yeah i mean there's the teaching and there's resources and there's prayer books and there's like prayer this that and the other and it can get very complicated and actually there's you're absolutely right carrie it's a great comment on the simplicity of Hello. i think was it um yeah, it was Anne Lamott. I don't know if I was talking with one of you about this, but Anne Lamott says the two best prayers that she knows, and I think they're really helpful, is help me, help me, help me, and thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Every prayer can be boiled down basically to that. Um, so, yeah, thank you for making that, that comment. And yeah, I'd absolutely encourage people to keep things as simple as possible and just have a conversation with, with God when you can. Um, Anyone else? One more, perhaps? Anyone who's busting for it? No? <clears throat> yes, one more quick one. Paul, let's you I, uh, last. First of all, thanks for doing this. It's been really encouraging and helpful. Um, we've talked a lot about um, individual prayer. Um, any thoughts on praying with others, or whether it's a small group or a larger group? I, I personally have a good experience of praying with probably groups of less than 10 people, but in larger corporate groups, just never really felt comfortable or, or gelled with it. But, uh, just any views on praying with, with others, how that, how that can be helpful? Yeah, that's great. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is <clears throat> some, you know, the 20, you know, you're aware of it, Paul, you know, 24-7 prayer network has got a whole, you know, does have resources on this. I think for me... It's maybe just my answer, like this is maybe where I'm coming from. I do le lean a little bit into maybe the way that I led the call to worship today, which is to kind of start there with some kind of liturgy with response. Sometimes that can really help bring people into prayer. So we kind of provide some kind of pre-written prayer or some kind of prayer that has a, has a response that's kind of easy and accessible. Maybe it's printed out or something like that. That's kind of a great way to like, help people participate in prayer. And it's easy to lead a, like a large group with that. You could lead a room of 10,000 people in that. All, everyone would pray at the same time then. Um, other than that, and then also I think there can be something beautiful just when you've got a large group just to break into, just breaking, into breaking into groups. And you've done that before too, I'm sure. But um, that's maybe not going to get at your question. But when you've got a large room of people, break into groups of even maybe two people, three people. And that I think often in that kind of context, um, it gives everyone an opportunity to pray, but also to kind of unburden, burden them, unburden themselves with what they need prayer for. And actually then intercessory prayer can kick in. You know, people can lay hands on one another and pray. Um, and you've got a room full of people praying, um, but they're all kind of, you know, in their own corner doing it. And that's actually, that's actually really important. Any, any wisdom to add practically there? I, I was, I mean, I've... Yeah, I 
connect with what you say, Paul, because I think over the years going into larger gatherings and, and feeling, oh, I don't know how to pray because everyone prays these beautiful prayers, you know, and you can get a bit obsessed with how you're going to sound. Um, something we did at our SLT and try to practice and do is to, I mean, there's seven of us, so it's not a massive event, but um, we wait in silence and only pray what we feel moved to prayer because sometimes when you all get together to pray, you all just come with the things that's on your heart. And we've tried to discipline ourselves to seek God in silence and wait and then pray. Um, and I have found that helpful in larger groups because then we're sort of taking direction or just waiting to see what comes to mind and then we, we follow that. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, no, nothing really much to add other than that. But I just remember one time being in a in a prayer gathering, public pray, praying, and I endured a lot of long, uh, winded prayer meetings uh, in younger years. But I remember someone was going on and on and on, waxing really eloquent, and uh, someone just I remember. Uh, there's a young girl came to our church, um, and I remember her just tugging on his trousers and saying. Uh, just call him father and ask him for something. And there was just something about that, just about being sharp and short and to the point. <laughs> Brilliant, great. Um, a super way to kind of finish. I think we've kind of covered as best we can some of those questions this morning. I hope that was really helpful. We're going to finish our time together uh, worshipping uh, together and taking uh, bread and wine. I would invite the band to kind of come and get themselves ready. Um, but could we put our hands together for John and Steph? Um, let you guys grab your, your seats. There's a couple of wee things I want to mention while the band are kind of getting themselves ready. Um, one is obviously the, the, the website, which is kind of up here, readymarchandle.com slash PTW, which is practicing the way. So if you go on there, all of our sermons so far in this series, the four on Sabbath and the four on prayer are all uploaded. And there's also like additional resources, a little PDF uh, with like a whole bunch of bonus resources. So if you do want kind of good reading material, podcasts to listen to, or uh, guided prayers, breath prayers, set prayers, written prayers. There's, a, there's a great stuff in there, and I would really point you to that website, take a wee look, click the, click the, kind of, the companion guide, it's called, to, to, to Sabbath, but obviously we're in prayer now to prayer, and you can benefit from that. The other thing I'd love to just really encourage you to do is to sign up to the learning group, the prayer learning group, which Ian is, is going to lead. Ian's using an excellent resource, uh, pr- largely kind of provided by Brian Zand and his prayer school, and it really helps um, with an awful lot of what we talked about today. It covers a lot of bases, but it really helps in terms of developing a rhythm of prayer. So the takeaway from that will hopefully be that you will go away with having developed some kind of daily rhythm of prayer that you that is going to help you, something tangible and it's brilliant so please do sign up to that on the website uh, as well yeah.